Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Mrs. Motivation. I am your host, Christina Clemente. Today, I wanted to talk to you guys about how I was able to kick my addiction to pain medication and anti-anxiety meds. It is something that I'm very proud of in my life. It took a lot of hard work. It still takes a lot of hard work. To this day, I am taking non-habit forming medications if I need them for pain. I take no medications for anxiety. I just wanted to share my experience with this because I know that a lot of us are in quarantine right now and many people have lost their jobs. Many people are working from home. Many parents are wearing different hats the homeowner hat, the worker hat, the teacher hat, the father hat, the mother hat. There's so much being piled onto us right now, mentally and emotionally, that I'm hearing a lot more stories about people taking Xanax to sleep at night or a Percocet to deal with their back pain. So I'm hearing these things and it's triggering a lot in me. I know that not everybody goes through the same circumstances, but what I think is important to share is a lot of times these habits start very small and we don't even realize them once a week or once a month and then it becomes I'll take this a couple times a week and now it becomes I'll take it every day. Now I've really escalated the situation but you would be surprised on how easily that happens. You take a Xanax because you're uncomfortable in your body because of the situation we've all been placed in because of quarantine. You take a pain pill because You've worked so hard with your kids or on the home all day long. Now your back is hurting and you need something for the pain. Instead of taking a regular ibuprofen, you've escalated yourself in your mind and you need that Percocet or a hydrocodone to sleep or function better. And a lot of what people don't realize is that even if these drugs are quote unquote not habit forming or they're not controlled substances, they can start to control you. And... It happened to me, you know, happened very gradually to a point where, you know, I was taking them as prescribed and then I was taking them as I psychologically prescribed it to myself. And then it was every single day to a point where I felt like I needed a clonopin during the day to ease myself. And then I needed to take two Xanax at night to sleep. And if I had back pain, I was taking a Percocet, even if it was just a little twinge of pain. I was like, you know what? F the Advil. I'm going to take this Percocet or hydrocodone because I know for sure it's going to work and I know I'm going to sleep like a rock. I'm not even going to wake up. And it started to slowly become a part of my lifestyle. And that is honestly my concern with quarantine and people who are self-medicating is that you take a Xanax because you're uncomfortable with the whole situation, but really you're not working on yourself and the pieces of you that are uncomfortable. And I know that takes a lot of practice and self-discipline, but there are other things that we can do, um, which I will talk about later, in order to avoid taking drugs or AIDS for sleep or for anxiety or depression or any dis-ease that we have in our body. Dis-ease is an uncomfortability in our bodies. Our bodies are not at ease. So this is where the dis-ease comes from. And a lot of people just automatically jump to um, pills, you know, medications, whatever our doctors will give us. And it is not obviously in our best interest to be taking these. I know you're going to be like, whatever, Christina, you're probably rolling your eyes at me. I, If I need to take the Xanax at night, I'll do it. 
But I just want to talk about how that could lead into a dependence that you didn't even know that you created. So I'm just going to give a little back history. In the last episode, I kind of touched on the fact that 13 years ago, I had gotten my breast implants put in. And, you know, over the course of many years, I realized that that is no longer something that I wanted. However, when I got my surgery this year to remove them, I was given a lot of pain medication. I was given Percocets. I was offered anxiety medication for before and after surgery. I was offered everything. And honestly, I didn't take anything. I think I took a Percocet the first day after surgery and that terrified me because of how far I've come in my personal journey um, in eliminating things like that from my life. But when someone found out that I had surgery, they were like, oh, did you get any Percocet? Oh, did you get any hydrocodone? And they were trying to literally purchase my prescribed drugs off of me so that they could sleep better at night or feel relaxed during the day. And even though these things are very common, it is very concerning to me and is something that I don't support. So no, I did not do that. But because I have come so far in my journey, back in 2007, when I got my my original surgery, I probably would have taken that Percocet every single day until I felt 100%, as opposed to the Christina in 2020, who only took Percocet for one day. And then literally, I think maybe I took an Advil uh, a few days after when I was in some sharp pain but I don't take anything anymore. That doesn't make me a martyr. It doesn't make me better than anybody. I just feel like I'm making the choice that is best for me and for my body. And so I want to share my experience with what happened back then, how it escalated, and how I was able to get clean. So as I said, in 2007, I had the surgery and I immediately jumped into my job a month later. I started working as a speech and language therapist um, with developmentally disabled children, and I loved that job. I just hopped kind of right into it, and a year after, somewhere between a year and a year and a half after I had my breast done, I had gotten diagnosed with Lyme's disease. Nobody saw the bullseye. Nobody knows how. I was diagnosed through uh, blood work, and honestly, I felt like crap during that time. I didn't know what was going on. I had rashes coming up all over my body. My anxiety was through the roof. I was very, I wouldn't say depressed, but I was like an emotional roller coaster. I didn't understand how to navigate my feelings as this disease was running rampant through my body. My joints were hurting. I was dizzy, I was fatigued. So all these things were happening in my body. I just did not feel good. About a year, a year and a half after my surgery and shortly after I was diagnosed in about 2010, I went to lift up my dog (laughs) and between the position that I lifted him and his weight, I shifted myself in such a way that my back completely went out. I understand why they have a life alert button for elderly people now because I was literally on the floor for 45 minutes before I could reach for a phone to call somebody for help. I remember I had stayed home from work that day. I was just trying to relax, put my dog up on the bed, and it went completely wrong. I remember lying there in so much pain that I literally thought that I had been amputated at the waist. 
that's how much pain I was in from this back. I was like at this 90 degree angle. I could not elevate myself to stand up straight at all. Um, eventually I saw a chiropractor and a doctor and after that had happened, I was prescribed pain pills. I was officially someone whose back went out. It was never going to go back again. I was told that I had herniated a couple of discs in my back. I had a bulging disc. I had sciatica. It was like a horrible mess. Um, I was home to rehabilitate myself. Um, I think it was four weeks. It could have been six. I don't remember. But anyway, I was given a ton of pain pills. So just to rewind a little bit, in 2008-9, I got diagnosed with the Lyme's disease. My anxiety was high. My body felt weak. I was given Xanax and Clonopin to deal with my emotions. And then a year later-ish, I hurt my back. So now I have these pain pills. So I'm in the routine now of taking... I don't know if it was Xanax or Clonopin during the day and then I would just take the other one at night and I'm in this routine because my mind was, it, it just felt so hyper. It just couldn't stop thinking. It couldn't stop thinking of situations that didn't exist and there was so much fear. At that point, I had no tools in my tool belt to fix it. So I decided this is the routine that I'm doing, you know, the Xanax and Clonopin during the day and at night to get me through. And then when I hurt my back, I was taking Percocets and Flexerols so that I could manage my pain. And, you know, that to me was easier than trying to go to physical therapy, which I had done maybe for like two weeks. And it was, I think it was too early. So it just, it was exacerbating the pain. It just was not working for me. The pain pills in my mind was what was working. So I actually continued this cycle, guys, for three-ish years, maybe a little over three years. I was taking the Xanax, the Clonopin, the Flexerol all the time, around the clock. These three pills, sometimes more than one of these pills a day, just so that I could feel as if I was functioning like a normal person. And I, at the time, thought I was fine. But now, you know, that I'm older and I look back on the situation, I really was like a shell of the person that I am today. And not that the person I am today is better than who I was, but I am definitely healthier in mind and body. And I know that I don't have to rely on those things to make me feel like a better person. So I started to think about my my friendships. My friendships were all kind of falling apart around me. I couldn't figure it out. You know, I was in this place where I was so in my own pity party. I was like Eeyore under my own cloud of rain. And I thought I was fine. And I thought I was treating the people around me fine. But I wasn't. I was using alcohol to fit in and hang out and party with people while I was using all these medications. I was smoking pot because I thought it would help me um, feel, I guess, higher in my mind state so that maybe I would need less Xanax or something. I don't know what story I contrived in my head to justify any of it. But I wasn't a nice person. I was talking badly about people. I was talking behind people's backs. 
I wasn't an easy person to be with it romantically in a relationship. I was very hot-headed. My emotions were all over the place. I was filled with this rage. And I think a piece of it was the pills and a piece of it was not working on all of the things that I needed to work on. And instead of working on them, I was just, you know, popping something from the pharmacy because I thought that would make me feel better instead of digging deep and being like, well, why am I talking badly about this person behind their back? Or why am I not being nice to my best friend? Or why am I in a screaming match right now with my then boyfriend, which is my now husband? I just wasn't a nice person. And I could tell eventually that I was going down a wrong path because I was losing friends. And I thought like, oh, well, this sucks. Like they're assholes. And I didn't realize that I had a big piece in why a lot of these relationships started to deteriorate. And I mean, obviously not everything is my fault. And there's two pieces to every story. But I started to see that I was kicking a lot of the people who really cared about me out of my life and the superficial people who just like kind of wanted to party and smoke and take my pills and and do all that stuff like really wanted to still be my friend and I was like okay well there's there's something here and there's something that needs to be done and for a long time I thought about stopping taking these pills and I I couldn't bring myself to not take them anymore. It was really, really scary. And I remember thinking like, how did I get here? You know, this all started because I was diagnosed with limes and my anxiety was so high that I couldn't get through the work day. So I would take one during the day. And then it became, well, I can't, I can't sleep at night. You know, my mind is just racing of all the things that I have to do. I haven't done, you know, the person that I should be the things that I should have said, the events I should have gone to, it just couldn't stop spinning. So then it became, I'll take one a night. And then, you know, I had hurt my back. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll take a flex rule during the day. And then it became, well, I'm, you know, done with physical therapy. I have to go back to work. I'll take two at night so that I can make sure that I can sleep through all the pain that I created during the day at work and through the anxiety. I was just doubling up on everything and it just happened so fast. I I don't understand how I allowed myself to just do one a day and then it became two a day and then it became the three pills in one day and then it became I literally don't even know if I feel pain anymore but let me just take this because psychologically... There is something about medication. This is why the placebo effect works so much, right? You think you're taking something that's helping you. So in your mind, you tell yourself, this is helping me. And then all of a sudden you're cured. And then all of a sudden you find out, oh my God, this was a placebo. I wasn't even taking anything to begin with. The mind is such a brilliant thing. So obviously I was not taking a placebo. I was taking actual drugs. And I was like, well this is working. Even though my anxiety level had diminished at a rate by 2013, that was amazing. My pain, I, you know, I wasn't in pain every single day, but I was certainly stronger than I was years before when I had originally hurt my back. But still I was in this routine of taking these things because psychologically I told myself I need them and they're working for me. 
even though I was still taking the same dose that I was originally prescribed, things weren't going up. So I'm sure they really weren't doing anything at, at that point years later, but in my mind they were and I needed them and I didn't know how to separate from them. And I've been many things in my life, but truly healthy wasn't one of them. As a kid, I was into sports. I wasn't really allowed to eat a lot of junk growing up in my house. But I think that after or during high school, at some point, like that kind of phased out because I started drinking in high school and experimenting with drugs and doing all these things and exercise and fitness wasn't really like my thing. So going into college, I was asked to be on the cheerleading team. I declined because I wanted so badly just to like be a college student and have that college experience without sports. I was really in the gym, mostly because I was out at the bars drinking and I was out at my friend's houses smoking pot. And that was my thing. Like I have an addictive personality. And I started to think about that, like all in high school and throughout college, I was drinking and smoking. I did experience, you know, some drugs back in the day. And I started to think like, I've never really cared about my health. Like as an adult, I have such an addictive personality, you know, for years I was drinking, for years I was smoking pot. Now for years I'm addicted to pills and I was still doing those things. And for some reason, I thought like, wow, Christina, you've never really cared about your health. So in 2013, I started to really think about what I could do to make myself a better person. And obviously, a lot of that had to do with kicking my drug habit and kicking that, I hate to say drug habit, it, but it was. It was an addiction that I could no longer control. I was just in this routine um, of, of just taking things because I felt like they were really helping me. I remember talking to my then boyfriend at the time who was in the middle of like switching jobs and, and doing so much. And I was like, I, I need to go on a trip and I need to take a trip without my drugs. And he's like, okay, well, where do you want to go? And I said, I know you can't come with me, but I'm, I'm going to go to Alaska with my friend. And he said, okay. And I chose to go to Alaska with my friend, Sean, who I've known since preschool and you know, my husband or boyfriend at the time had a relationship with. So he would be very comfortable with the fact that I was going with somebody else. And I was like, I am going to go to Alaska and I am not going to bring my pills and I'm not going to smoke and I'm not going to drink and I'm just going to submerge myself into a new place and explore it and explore myself and just deal with the feelings and emotions that come while I'm there. I just need I just need this time to kick it. And I'll never forget the day that we were leaving and you know my husband, boyfriend at the time, looks at Sean and he was like, "Did you bring a gun?" And he said, "Yeah, I'm traveling, you know, with a gun and he had a license to do so and he's like, "You have to protect Christina with everything that you ever have." <laughs> And he said, okay, no problem. I remember being so nervous to go on this trip first and foremost because I knew it was going to be really, really hard for me mentally and emotionally. And second, because I was going without, you know, my support system, my number one person in my life couldn't come with me. And I knew that those two things were going to make this extremely hard. So I was like, okay, well, how can I make myself feel better? So I was like, you know what? I've always loved photography. Let me get a camera so that when I'm thinking about, oh my God, I really want to take a Xanax or I really want to pop a Flexerol, 
I'll just take out my camera and I'll start taking pictures of the most glorious landscapes you've ever seen. So I went to the store and I bought the camera. And let me tell you that the camera, (laughs) first funny story, is that the camera is the reason that I missed my flight. So apparently the camera wasn't in store um, when I purchased it and I had to go the day that we were flying out to pick it up. Well, it comes to the store late and I'm so dead set on having this camera as my crutch that I'm, you know, late picking up the camera and then, of course, late going to the airport and we missed our flight to Alaska. So (laughs) that wasn't a great start to the trip, but we get on the plane the next day and it's me, Sean, and his emotional support animal, Rusty, at the time. Sean, just a little bit about Sean. Sean is a veteran who, you know, unfortunately got very badly injured in the war in Iraq. So he has an emotional support animal that helps him around. So it's just three of us and the camera on the trip. And I was just so nervous. I I don't know how to like describe how nervous I was going on this trip because I don't know if I've mentioned yet, we were camping. (laughs) We were literally camping from place to place in Alaska. And I had done a very sketchy itinerary of what we were going to do there. Um, But each of us had a one-man tent and whatever else we could fit in our luggage and it was summer in Alaska so I thought I was in for like this beautiful you know warm weather trip and don't get me wrong it was absolutely beautiful there during the day but it was freezing at night you don't have to go to the tundra part of Alaska to feel tundra on the floor the floor is frozen even during the summer So it's just funny to mention that my mom told me that it would be cold and I was like, you don't know, you've never been to Alaska and it was freezing. And so I'm sure if she listens to this, she will love to hear that she was right. I ended up buying mittens to put on my hands. I even bought mittens to put on my feet because it was so cold at night. Um, And Sean had given me like this, like if you've ever been camping, you know that aluminum foil blankets are essential for keeping heat in your body when you're cold. So picture me trying to kick my drug habit in a one man tent surrounded by aluminum foil, like looking like a burrito. Like this was literally the experience that I threw myself into so that I could kick my dependency on drugs (laughs) and Like, I just don't know why I would ever think that this was a good idea. But at the time, it was amazing. And and in hindsight, now I can say it was and it worked. But it was just a very interesting experience. So, you know, as we are driving through Alaska, going from campsite to campsite and and seeing museums and the pipeline and and going to different places um, to do activities, I came to learn that... Sean, my friend and driver and travel partner, had an addiction to hydrocodone and it killed me because here I am on my trip to try to kick drugs and here is this person who is given his life for for us and our civil liberties, our freedoms by fighting in Iraq And he's now popping medication so that he doesn't feel pain on a daily basis. And so that was really hard for me to watch him do that and not ask for it and not be like, well, can I have one too? 
And, you know, obviously that's wrong on so many levels. He needs his medication and I don't need it. But these are the things that run through your mind when you have an addiction, like, oh, just give me some of that. You know, you're not thinking about, well, this person has a legitimate pain issue. I was having a great time. My anxiety wasn't there. My pain wasn't there. I was able to do all of these things on this trip effortlessly, except for the psychological battle, the mental struggle of being like, oh, maybe I, maybe I do need them. But I didn't. And it was an amazing feeling. You know, I could use my camera when I was, whenever I was feeling uneasy and I could just stop anywhere. Literally, Alaska is the most beautiful place. I know that there are tons of beautiful places in this world, but Alaska to me has a special place in my heart, not just because of what I went through there, but also because of its majesticness and beauty. I got to see Mount McKinley and another photographer was there and... He put my camera body onto his zoom lens and I have the best picture of Mount McKinley because this man's generosity. If I had chosen to continue on the destructive path of using drugs, I would have never thought, let me go to Alaska to kick my habit. I would have never had this opportunity to meet this stranger and have him generously offer me his zoom lens so I could have a once in a lifetime picture of Mount McKinley with no clouds. I mean, that's pretty hard. If you've never been to Alaska, there's usually like this cloud cover over it. So it was gorgeous. And there would have been so many things that I would have missed had I not put myself out there in this way to detox. So, you know, in this trip, we were, like I said, sleeping on the ground. And because I couldn't sleep, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I could not sleep at night because I was taking these drugs. <laughs> And now I was not. So it was hard for me to sleep. And I remember being up very late. Also because in Alaska during the summer, there's very short nights. So it's quite confusing at one in the morning, two in the morning. It still looks like dusk. So I'm up late at night, can't sleep in my little aluminum foil blanket. And we're talking and we look up at the sky and we see the northern lights. I'll never forget that moment in my entire life. They were greenish, yellow, like almost neon and just dancing. And I rushed to get my camera. And although it's a blurry picture, I have amazing pictures of the northern lights. It's a moment that like I'm actually drifting off into like this weird sitcom-y face thinking about it because it really was one of the most amazing moments that I was able to experience I'm very proud that I put myself out there to do something like this because I would have never been able to experience this otherwise. So I'm just looking up at, at these stars and I'm thinking like, oh my God, I'm so proud. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for this moment. And, and the trip was filled with lots of moments like that. It was like, cool little miracle moments along the way to kind of tell me that I was on the right path. Um, we went mining for gold um, at this dredgery. I think I said that right. But they give you, it, you know, there's kids there. It's the whole shebang tourist thing. They give you like a package of dirt and they have you sift through it and there's actual gold flakes in it. I remember, you know, sifting and thinking like, this is the coolest thing. And in my mind, I'm also thinking like, well, it'd be really cool if I had Xanax on me, but I, it's fine. I'm relaxed. I'm having fun. So I'm still battling these thoughts, but I'm overcoming them, not just because 
I don't have it on me, but because it's in my will to not do it anymore. It's in my will to tell my brain, you don't need that. You're fine without it. You're mining for gold right now. You're cool. So I remember when we, when we finished mining for gold, uh, Sean didn't want his, he felt no need for it. And I loved it. I was just so excited by it. I ended up putting it in like this little ornament for a chain. I don't know. I can't think of the word for it right now. To this day, that gold sits on my favorite chain on my neck and I'm touching it right now as I record this podcast and it is a memory and a symbol of the strength that I had to exhibit at that time in my life. It is a memory that I am strong. It is a memory to remind me that I can do anything that I want, that I do have willpower, that I can overcome anything, that I don't have to rely on my addictions to feel happy, that I could find other activities that fulfill me. And it just makes me smile, honestly. And I'm so happy to still have it. And, you know, we had a lot of great times on that trip that really distracted me. Um, you know, we, we ended up stopping. There's a couple of things I guess I could say about my trip to Alaska and share, but I remember stopping at this one campground and right next to it was this brewery. And at the brewery was parked the bus from the movie Into the Wild. So I don't know if you know the story of the man from Into the Wild, but there's a man, he decided to leave everything behind and he backpacked miles into Alaska, which is so crazy, into the woods there. And he found a bus and he survived in this bus um, until he ate something bad. Sorry for the spoiler, but he ended up passing away. And um, somebody eventually found the bus and him and, you know, was able to retell his story because he had written it. So this replica bus is parked at the brewery and it brings up so much in me because I was like, this is kind of like my trip to Alaska to leave everything behind and figure things out for myself. So it was very symbolic to sit in front of that bus and it was such a good moment and I was living in it and it was great. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's time to go back and, and take showers and so I'll never forget this in my entire life. <laughs> I could still actually kind of smell it, which is horrible. But so in order to take a shower at this campground, you had to feed the shower quarters. I think it was like a quarter for maybe like, let's say 10 minutes. I come into this like shower area and they were all freaking filthy. Like, I don't understand, but people were raised in barns sometimes when you go into a campground and you see how people treat it. It's disgusting. But I'll remember that there was literally shit on the floor. Like someone had shit on the floor of the showers and multiple shower stalls. <laughs> and I will never forget having to shower in, in this stall after finding the poo on the floor. And I'm just like, what the hell is happening here? I just had the most magical day on the Into the Wild bus. And now here I am in a stall filled with poo and trying to just get clean. Like I did not feel clean that night. I slept. I remember that night we were under pine trees. So there was a lot of bugs and you know, Sean has his dog to sleep with. So everything is great for him. And I'm just like freezing in the tundra floor in my little burrito shell. Like it just, it just really 
was a very interesting trip. So it was as amazing as it was that I had these highs of finding the gold and the Into the Wild bus and, you know, taking these pictures of Mount McKinley. We had some really weird moments where (laughs) these campgrounds were just like freaking us out. And I also remember another really weird (laughs) funny moment was I was in charge of driving. I should never be in charge of driving, by the way, on a scenic trip because I pull off every five freaking seconds. So I'm pulling off on the highway and the scenic outlook was in such a place that Sean couldn't get to it easily because of his leg and his injuries. So I remember yelling to him like, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go take a picture of this. And I still have the picture. But I remember being at the top and I was looking down at this valley and there were mountains to each side of it. And it was like, oh my God, this is so majestic. So I'm doing like a panorama picture. And then I get to this person who appears to be naked on the side of this mountain to the right hand side of me. And I'm just like, I'm looking down. I'm like, are they naked? And then I'm looking harder and I'm like, oh my God. Not only are they fully naked, but they are fully masturbating on a lounge chair on the side of a cliff on on a mountain where anyone who's at the scenic pull-off can see. And I'm just like, I literally am such a prude. I couldn't have contrived the situation to make me feel more embarrassed, but I literally screamed because I, I didn't know what I was looking at. I was like, oh my God. That guy's jerking his gherkin. Can you believe that literally these were the first words to come out of my mouth? And you know what? I said him so loud that this man heard me. So I'm like so embarrassed. He looks up and I thought like he would be more embarrassed than me. No, he turned his chair around and I guess I kind of half hit it behind a pine tree, but we could still kind of see. But he just turned so he wasn't facing the scenic outlook and then he was more facing the valley. And he just kept going. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe it. It was moments like that <laughs> that distracted me from thinking this is a perfect time to take Xanax so I could feel better, calm down or not have pain from sitting in the car for too long. Like... Those thoughts were not even anywhere in my mind because of the situations that I continued to find myself in, in Alaska. And, and it was a distraction, I think, is the best medicine or best tool you can use um, to kind of trick your mind into thinking you don't need something anymore because you're just replacing one thing with another. And I guess I was replacing these pills with these situations that I kept finding myself in. Needless to say, after I said that, a crowd of people came around me and they were all looking down at him and no one could believe it. <laughs> it was just, I, I walked away, honestly, I walked away. But if I look through my pictures of Alaska, I'll always be able to spot the one of that valley because I'll never forget it in my entire life. Thank God for those pictures and that camera because I was able to document so much. So even though I missed the flight in there, I, I was just so happy to have this camera to document all of these things. It, it really just, it really was a smart idea that I had. I didn't even think about it. It just, it just ended up being my savior. And one of my favorite good stories from that trip is going into Denali National Park 
And um, that is a beautiful national park that they have in Alaska. It's absolutely huge. It probably takes over a, a week or two to see the entire thing. It's like Yellowstone. It's filled with all these amazing animals, majestic landscapes. I mean, you can't possibly want for anything more out of a camping vacation. So we're in Alaska, in Denali. We're joking around like we're going to go on a bear hunt. And this is just another way to distract my mind and, you know, from the fact that I'm not able to take the things that I'm comfortable taking to make myself feel good in my body. And, you know, we're just contriving this funny thing and we're hiking along this like little river. And then all of a sudden we come across a huge bear print. Like a, it was bigger than my face and it was fresh. And I still have the picture from that as well. And um, it was crazy. Uh, immediately, it wasn't a joke anymore. And I was like, I really think we need to get the fuck out of here. I was terrified. I'm with someone who's half injured, you know, doesn't get around as easily as I do. So we start like booking it out of there, like booking it. <laughs> and I give, um, I give Sean my tripod to use as a walking stick so it could kind of like ease him and we can kind of get to the car faster and the whole way I'm thinking like okay if a bear does come it's gonna get the dog first I'm so sorry to say that but it's true guys it's gonna get the dog or Sean and I'm booking it to the fucking car <laughs> it was like, I literally had an exit plan in my mind because this bear print was so huge they don't feel mercy for you they're they're looking around for a snack so like we're getting the hell out of there and I remember we go out to dinner that night and, you know, everyone wants to talk to Sean because he's a vet and because he has this beautiful golden retriever support animal. So everyone wants to know his story. Everyone wants to thank him for his service. And I remember he's sitting in front of these like huge king crab, like Dungeness crab legs because, you know, that's what they get in Alaska. Amazing seafood. And... I remember scrolling on my phone as people are talking to him and he's eating and I'm like, oh my God, Sean. And he's like, what? I'm like, someone just died in Denali two days ago. And he said, what? I said, yeah, someone went hiking like we did and a bear mauled him to death. And we were like, literally no words at the dinner table, just staring at each other. Like, what the hell did we just get out of? So that was just like one of those cool adventure stories. Thank God I didn't see the bear. Thank God nothing happened to us. I always feel like someone's watching over me. But um, in that moment, I feel like we really did escape a situation that could have been a lot worse. And all of these things that we did just spark such memories in me that I can't help but smile when I think about it. It was just a a really good way for me to... Just focus on what's in front of me. Focus on the present, not focus on what I need from the exterior to make me feel whole within. And this trip really opened up my eyes in so many different ways. And I remembered another one that really was symbolic for me, something I, I won't forget, but it's more the symbolism that I won't forget. You know, we went to this glacier and we were able to go out and walk on the glacier and I remember like being really scared because my travel partner doesn't get around as easy as I do. He had paralysis on, on one leg and it was hard for him to navigate smooth surfaces. So here we are now on this glacier and it's very slick. And I remember just like wanting to go out and I remember looking back at him and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go out here. He's like, no, I am too. And I'm like, 
Yes, but if you slip and fall, there are huge crevices in glaciers, and I just want to make sure you're okay. And he was like, well, I can do anything that you can do. And I thought in my head, like, "Mm, I don't know about that, you know. But in his mind, he was like, I can fucking do anything this girl can do. Like, I don't care about my physical limitations. So I remember walking out into the glacier, and Rusty stayed with Sean the entire time, helping him get up every time he fell down. And he was so filthy. By the time that we were done walking this glacier, it blew my mind. He went in with khakis, and they came out like dark black and brown from the mud that we had to cross over in this glacier and I just thought like okay first of all this is really cool like I'm standing on a glacier that's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years old I'm in Alaska I'm towards the end of my trip I'm feeling amazing I don't need these drugs anymore like I've proven to myself that I am worthy of a drug-free life. I'm I'm worthy of not having a dependency to numb my feelings. I'm I'm worthy of relying on myself to find the good within. And I look back at Sean, and at this point, he's almost up to me, and I just see him falling and getting up and falling and getting up. And I was so proud to have him as my friend. I think that in that moment, a lot of people were like, oh my God, like he's really slowing me down or we can't get as far as this. Or like, there are some really like, unempathetic people out there they're kind of assholes that are always thinking about themselves so I'm sure those thoughts would have run through somebody's mind but in my mind I was like this is amazing I did not think at all he was going to be able to do this and here he is he's almost right next to me and just with the help of his animal which is an amazing thing in itself but I just kept watching him and his attitude although he was frustrated with his body he was persevering like any like nothing I've ever seen before in my life and he was so determined to get to his goal and I couldn't help but think of myself you know we all just take things that other people go through and try to relate them to ourselves and for years I kept telling myself like I don't need it but I wasn't getting up you know like I wasn't beating my dependency I would just like oh I don't need these drugs but at night I would take them and I It was like I just kept lying down and lying down and lying down. And finally, taking this trip to Alaska was like me getting up. I was getting up. I was going to beat this. I was going to be strong. I was going to face my fear. I was going to be in control, finally. I wasn't going to let circumstance control me. I was going to control my thoughts and my feelings and my actions and my behaviors. And I was going to succeed. And to me, that was amazing. You know, I I was so proud in that moment. And I was so proud of both of us on that trip. He helped me more than he realized. And I don't think that um, I could be prouder of the situation that I had put myself into and the result that came out of it. You know, as I'm flying home on the way to, you know, see my boyfriend, I'm so excited because it was so sick of you know, Sean's face all the time (laughs) and sleeping in the fucking tent. I couldn't stand it anymore. I just wanted to be home and brag to Ian about how proud I was. And I remember coming home and I was almost like a whole new person, to be honest. I don't know how, I don't know what clicked. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if it was the camera 
or if it was Alaska in itself and the experiences, but I came back completely revitalized and it was like all that stuff in the past had never happened to me. I was healthy, you know, as far as being clean from these medications. My mind was right. And when I got home, it really kicked off the life that I have now. And it's crazy to say that because um, I, I guess I'm just realizing it now as I'm saying it to you. But in 2013, when I kicked my addiction to pills, it completely changed the course of my life because I came home, I was pill free. And to this day, you know, minus the Percocet that I had after surgery in February, I'm pill free. And I'm so proud to say that I've been offered so many drugs, especially after I got injured at my job three years ago, Xanax, Clonopin, Zoloft, uh, Percocets, Hydrocodones, all these things for pain, anxiety, depression. I've refused them all. And not because I'm a martyr. It's because I know that there are other ways to deal with pain. And a lot of it has to do with the work within. I started that work back in 2013. And when I came back, I severed a lot of relationships with people. I started really setting boundaries with people in my life, um, people who supported me and loved me. You know, I was welcoming them with open arms and people who were negative and doubting me and shaming me and telling me I wasn't as fun anymore or that I'm different. I kind of just blocked them out. And I don't mean that in a negative way because they're really good people. I just knew that they weren't good for me at that point in my life. And I started, you know, at the end of 2013, starting to look into how I could feed my body better and how I could get healthier. And I think that was like the first diet that I ended up starting. I think it was called the cellulite. The cell, I don't know, something that reduced my cellulite because I've always been insecure about my cellulite. So I started this like cellulite reduction diet bullshit thing doesn't work but it did kickstart me into a healthier lifestyle I started drinking more water I started caring about the food that was going into my body I started drinking a lot less and that was really big for me because I think that when I was drinking all the time it was almost just like I was on pills I was just kind of just muting myself as an individual then all of a sudden it became all right, well, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to not drink and I'm going to drink, you know, I'm going to replace the drinking with healthier options like lots of water and no soda and teas and juices. And I, you know, don't want to get ahead of myself because there's so much within this. But the end of 2013 into 2014 is when I really started to, to care. And the beginning of 2014 is when I started working out and a few months into 2014 is when I became a beach body coach and that really had set me up for the person I am today. It's really, it's my foundation and I think the things that helped me with my addiction were separating myself from it, seeing myself as a person and seeing these things as just pills, understanding and acknowledging that I was psychologically addicted to these things that may or may not have been working. I didn't really need them. What I needed was to dive deep within myself to figure out what I truly needed, which was time for myself, which was time to explore nature, time to explore my creativity with the camera, time to change my habits and to be healthier. 
time with a friend that understands what I'm going through and that I can relate to and, and share my experience and learn from. All of these things really helped me overcome my addiction to to painkillers and anxiety medication and and I just felt like I really needed to share that story because so many times now I'm talking with people and they're like well I hate quarantine I'm taking Xanax every day and I got it from a friend or oh I hurt my back gardening and now I'm taking Percocets every single day because I, I refuse to go to PT because the office is closed and I understand the pain thing you know I'm pain but I think that Advil and ibuprofens do the job. I don't, I think psychologically we tell ourselves we need more, but what we really need is an anti-inflammatory, not an anti-pain, because if you reduce the inflammation, then you reduce the pain. But we're getting into a lot of things that I do not have a degree to share. I am not giving medical advice. What I am saying is that if you have an addiction, please seek help from a doctor, a medical professional, a psychologist of some kind. There is help out there. You can feel free to reach out to me. I'm in no way someone who knows everything about drugs and addiction, but I just know from my experience I'm, I'm willing to help. I've learned so many things since that have helped me to deal with, with my pain currently in this in this day um but i just i want you guys to realize that it may be small to you but it's big to other people and sometimes small habits can develop slowly into larger habits and you don't realize the effect that can have on you and your personality and your character and also the paths that it can lead you down so I just kind of wanted to share my experience. Um, I also want to mention that not everybody has the same experience with their addiction. I was obviously someone who, after a while, knew she had a problem. People didn't really need to come to me and tell me. I kind of was just seeing the difference in myself. There are many people out there that have much different experiences with addiction. They don't just go on a vacation themselves to detox themselves, some people need some very involved work. A lot of that is through rehabs, talking with counselors. It involves family. It involves friends sometimes to help you realize that you have a problem. So I just want to make a point that everybody's addiction looks different. Everybody's recovery looks different. And I don't want to take anything away from anybody out there who is suffering. And, you know, you think to yourself, well, she had a mild case. I don't think that cases can be comparable. Every individual is different. To me, this was a big deal. To other people, they take a lot more drugs. They include drinking. Um, there, It's sometimes much more involved. So what I'm trying to say is that although I was able to do this on my own, not everyone has that ability or strength, and many times a lot of people need help. So that does look a lot different for people. Sometimes that includes inpatient or outpatient treatment centers. Whatever that looks like for you is okay. A while back, I think maybe a year or two now, I did an interview with my friend Mike and his story of addiction looked extremely different than mine did. And that is okay. I love his story. It's actually one of my favorite podcast shows that we've done to this point. It's actually a two-parter because it's so good and long. Um, his story is amazing. Now he is a rehab counselor and I couldn't be more proud of him. But I did just want to state for the record that I know everybody's addiction looks different. 
feels different, has a different ending. So I just want to thank you for listening to my version. I went on for way longer than I thought I was going to, but it is a really special story to me. And it really is the foundation of how I was able to become the person that I am today. And it all started with acknowledging that I had a problem, coming up with a plan to fix it. And then after fixing it, it was what's the next step? How can I replace this addiction with something healthier that will help me create a more positive lifestyle for myself? in which I have a healthy body and mind and spirit. That's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening to my Alaska story. It is just so fun for me to think about that time in my life. I can't believe it was seven years ago. I can't believe how fast time flies and how much my life has changed since. I just really also want to put in here that I am really grateful, not just for that experience in Alaska and Sean and what I went through, but primarily for my now husband, Ian, um, who was my then boyfriend and him being comfortable enough, confident enough in himself in our relationship to allow me to go and also just so supportive. My husband is supportive for so many things, but like I don't think that he understands how much his support during that time really affected me and also led me to become the person that I am. I'm, I would not be the person that I am, obviously without my parents, but without my husband's support and love and understanding. He's my guiding light. He is my rock. He is my, my like not my savior, like Jesus, but he is a saving grace for me in my life. I just want to thank him for sticking by me and, and going through that with me because I know that it's not easy to watch somebody go through their addiction. And um, and I just really, I, I love him for, for that and for so many other things. Our relationship is growing all the time and obviously is the most treasured thing in my life right now. So I'm getting emotional. I just wanted to say thank you to him. I hope he hears it and that I love him. And honestly, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting me, for downloading the podcast, for being a fan, for reaching out, for your emails, for your support, for it all. Thank you so much. If you or someone you know is having a problem with substance addiction, please, as I said before, reach out to a medical professional reach out to family members that can help, reach out to me if you need me. I'm more than willing to help. You can reach me by email at chrissyclemente at gmail.com. You can reach me on my Instagram at mrs.motivation. There are so many different people that you can reach out to, even though it doesn't feel like it, but there are people out there that are willing to help, that are amazing, understanding, people that can guide you through this time. So thank you again for listening and I will catch you guys on the next episode. I'm wishing you all health, happiness, and safety, especially as we navigate through this time and I'll catch you guys later. Peace out.